All right, so we want to get you familiar with what's going on in the church. And you know, you might think, well, you know, being part of a church and being on a volunteer staffing position or maybe even a paid staff position, could it get any better than that? Could life get any better than that, than being on staff at a church? Well, let me assure you that not everything that goes on in a church is very fun. In fact, you know in your own family there are really painful times. They're very difficult times. That's true in a church family as well. And several years ago was one of those painful times for me. We had a, church, we had a couple that was coming in for counseling, and, and uh, she was very involved in ministry here. He was being considered for a, a future elder or a deacon position on our church board. And uh, they came in and were working through their marriage issues, and their marriage is getting worse and worse as we went. And finally, he came in, and I said, listen, I'd really like to just kind of back up for a moment and go, what's, just ask, what's wrong with your marriage? Well, what was wrong with their marriage emerged very quickly. He no longer, because he traveled extensively internationally, believed that salvation was through the exclusive death, burial, resurrection of Christ alone. He felt like there's millions of Buddhists in this world, millions of Islamists, millions of Hindu worshipers. How can they all be wrong? How do we know that we are right? I no longer think we're right. Now that was pretty serious. And when it, it wasn't very long before, in fact it was maybe a couple months before, he left the Christian faith, left the Christian church all around, left his wife, left his children, and his life, even to this day, is an absolute shipwreck. Now, why I'm telling you that story is this, and I hope I have your attention, because this could happen to you. It's happened to many people. It's one of the most painful things I've ever experienced as a pastor. And I'm going to tell you that the message today, the helmet of salvation, is given to you, Christian, in order to prevent doubt and discouragement from coming into your life. You see, the aim of the devil is to inflict damage to the mind of the Christian, particularly in the confidence of their salvation. And we're given this helmet of salvation in order to protect our minds. So here's what we're going to learn. Ready? Three things. Here's the first. What was the helmet to the Roman soldier? Now, of course, they didn't call it helmet of salvation, but they had a helmet in their Roman armor. They had two types of helmet. It actually went through some revisions. It kind of started out as a leather helmet, kind of like very, very old football. They just played with a leather helmet. Well, the Roman helmet originally was leather, and then it became uh, embossed with all kinds of different metals, and the leather or, the, or sponge was the uh, underneath of it to be able to provide the comfort because it was so heavy. And then it was modified. This happened, by the way, just about a decade before Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians. The helmet for the Roman soldier was modified. And they added cheek guards. And they added the back of the neck. There are plates that came down through to cover the back of the neck. And by the way, you would want that. Because as you saw the enemy cavalry 
on their horses, coming with their broadswords, three to four foot long heavy swords, and their aim is to decapitate you or to cut your head and cleave it in two, you're going to want this helmet. It was virtually indestructible except for an axe and a hammer. You never went into battle without your helmet. And it was meant to protect and, sur- and survive the battle up close or if an, a horse, a cavalry was uh, bearing down upon you. And then Paul now co-ops this and he borrows it and he brings it into the verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 6. And he says very few words when it comes to this. Very different, by the way, with the shoes of peace. He said a lot about that. He just said simply, take the helmet of salvation. Now that might be a question in your mind. You might be asking, well, take it where? I mean, do you just take it around with you and have it on your hip? Do you tie it onto your belt? They were able to do that in the Roman army. Now, what he means there in the Greek is to lift it up, put it on your head. It really doesn't need a lot of explanation. It's really quite obvious. You have to pick it up, and you've got to put it on. Now, here's the interesting thing. I can't do that for you. You cannot do that for me. Parents, you cannot do this for your children. Wives, you cannot do this with your husband. Believe me, you can try. You can clang it onto their head, but it's not going to connect. You must individually, Christian, pick up the helmet of salvation. You must make sure it's on. And if it is not on, you are vulnerable. Now think with me for a second. If you're a bicyclist, if you're a motorcyclist, if you're a hockey player, if you're a football player, if you're a construction worker, you really get to the point when you do any of those activities that when you don't have the helmet on, it's a really uneasy feeling. It's a sense of vulnerability. If you're accustomed to wearing a helmet, you know what I mean. Well, it needs to become that for the Christian. But what is the spiritual significance, point number two, of the helmet? Now we know it's called the helmet of salvation. What's the, what's the significance of this? You know what's interesting is that saints throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New, they have felt the double edges of the devil's broadsword swinging at their heads. Here's the edges, here's two of them, doubt and discouragement. I want you to remember that throughout this entire message. There are two edges on this broadsword, doubt and discouragement. And that sword of the devil, listen, it connected with... Elijah, following a massive spiritual victory in Israel, all of a sudden, Elijah does not even want to live. How can you go from victory and and national revival to literally the next day fleeing into the desert, laying down going, God, basically, just let me die. That's the sword he didn't have his helmet on. That's what the devil will do. That sword swung at Peter. He's about to be, and he is on the pinnacle, on the cusp of seeing the greatest event in history, the one that will provide salvation for all who believe the death and the burial of Christ. And he denies Jesus just hours before he's crucified. And then after the, resurre- or after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, he basically quit on ministry. He went back to fishing. That's a devil's sword, doubt and discouragement. 
It was raised against Nehemiah. If you're familiar with that book, he came, he swung the sword. Nehemiah, one of my favorite, he not only ducked, he prayed. And he put that helmet back on. But 10 of those 12 spies, you remember they were sent out to the promised land. They were to spy out the, the land. 10 of the 12 of them, they didn't have their helmet of salvation on. They came back filled with doubt. It spread like a contagion throughout the entire nation of Israel. Almost all of them, almost all of them died in the desert from unbelief, never making it to the promised land. Discouragement and doubt... They're the reasons we need the helmet of salvation. But here we go. You ready? That was all kind of background. What is the helmet of salvation? Why is it even called that? I mean, putting it on, does it save you? No, you know it doesn't. You already have this in your possession the very moment you come to Christ for salvation. It's your option, by the way, to wear it. And a lot of us aren't. And a lot of us are struggling with discouragement spiritually. A lot of us struggle with doubt. Now listen, you look at me for a moment and answer this question. Are you struggling with being passionate with God one week? And then being passionate for the world the next? You're not wearing the helmet. And the broadsword is swinging freely of the devil. He is swinging it at your head. And this is the penalty. This is the consequence. Now, what does it mean, the helmet of salvation? I'm going to teach you a little trick. You, like me, come across parts of the scripture that you just scratch your head going, what on earth does this mean? Some of you, it's virtually every time you read the Bible. I hear that all the time. I read the Bible. I have no idea what it means. Well, let me tell you one thing. You kind of want to wonder, are you a Christian? Because if you can never make sense of the Bible and you've got the Spirit of God in you that is making it clear, well, I always challenge people, let's re-examine, have you really come to Christ? Because you've got God himself making sense of the Word of God for you. He is opening your eyes. He is revealing the Scripture. He is guiding you into all truth. So if you never can understand the Bible, well, let's just start with, are you a believer? Do you have the Spirit of God in you? Now let's assume for a moment you do, and you still often have those head scratchers where you're reading the Bible and you just can't understand, why did he say this? What does it mean? Now here's your pointer. Everybody remember this. Scripture interprets Scripture. If you, meaning this, if you ever come to a place where you cannot understand, like, why is it called the helmet of salvation? The answer is somewhere in the word of God. You just got to find it. God is not leaving you with one witness. He has multiple witnesses. So he will, he will elucidate. He will make it clear. He will explain the meaning somewhere. And all we've got to do with the helmet of salvation is get to 1 Thessalonians 5.8. You see it on the screen? Here's what it means, the helmet of salvation. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And here it is. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. All right, now you still got one finger on your head, still scratching. Okay, I got a little bit, but I'm really not getting all of it. Let me make it a little clearer. How do you define hope? You must define it towards the future. Hope is never about your past, and it's never about your present. Hope is faith for your future because you know God's been faithful in your past. 
Hope is faith for your future because you know God's been faithful in your past. So hope is always about the future. I hope it doesn't rain Monday because we've got a lot of family coming over for a barbecue. Well, you're talking about two days from now. Hope is always about the future. So the hope of salvation, which is how Paul defines the helmet of salvation, is about future salvation. Now listen, some of you got to be going, well, wait a minute. I thought I was already saved. The very moment I put my trust in Jesus, wasn't I saved then? What do you mean? Salvation, future. Well, Paul makes it even more clear. He says in Romans 13, 11, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Now, you've got to be wondering, this is amazing. Maybe you've never thought of it like this, that there is a salvation, Christian brother and sister, that you are moving toward, even as a believer. All right, I'm going to make it super clear now. Okay, I just want to get your appetite whetted, get your curiosity peaked. Paul means that every single day, Christian, you are drawing nearer to your salvation when it will be completed. And when we will no longer be in these bodies of sin, I mean, there's a day coming when you're not going to have to fight against lust. You're not going to have to fight against jealousy. You're not going to have to fight against coveting and doubting and despair and regret and unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. There's a day coming when none of those will ever be in your heart again, not for eternity you're moving closer every single day. Well, let me make it a little bit more clear by the use of one of my all-time favorite movies. I watch it almost every year in December. It's called The Christmas Carol. You know that movie. You've all seen it about Ebenezer Scrooge. And he's visited by three ghosts. Ready? The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas Future. Now, I don't know if Dickens borrowed from the Bible, but he might as well have. Because when it comes to the salvation of a Christian, the Bible says you've got a salvation past, you've got a salvation present, and you've got a salvation future. And here's the big words the theologians use. Justification, that's your salvation past. Sanctification, that's your salvation present. Glorification is your salvation future. Now, some of you right now are nodding. You are like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to make it through this sermon. Please, God, let it be short. You may not be Christian, by the way, if you're saying, no, I'm kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> All of this is going to make clear. I'm going to make it clear for you, okay? Because the helmet of salvation is aiming at one of those tenses almost majoritively. So let me make it a little bit more clear. I've told you there's salvation past, salvation present, salvation future. Christian, here we go. You ready? There was a point in your life where you believed in Jesus. That's your salvation past. Man, some awesome stuff happened. The moment you put your trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you were justified. You were made right with God. If you ever use Microsoft Word, the justified feature, it may, means your margins go from all the way to the left, all the way to the right. So the righteousness of God now goes all the way to the left of your soul and all the way to the right of your soul. God does not see sinner in you any longer. He sees saint, holy one, Greek, hagios. 
That's justified. And that happened the very moment that you became a Christian, you became a new creation. You were adopted into God's family and you were sealed by the Spirit of God himself who came and lived in you. And he's a deposit. Now listen to this. He's a deposit. What's that mean? He's a guarantee that this is just a foretaste of what's to come. What's starting now, God is guaranteeing he will finish the job. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. So this all happened the very second that you believed. And guess what? The devil cannot do anything about it. He cannot touch your salvation past But then there's a present salvation happening right now. Listen, even happening now when you're listening to this sermon. I mean, listen, you got a job, by the way, when I'm preaching. I've got a job. I've got to preach the Word of God right. I've got to preach it in a compelling way. I've got to preach it in hopefully a personal way with a a lot of humility in my own life. I'm not a finished product. I struggle. I sin just like everybody else. I'm in need of these messages just like you are. That's my job to preach it right. Your job is to listen to it right. Your job is to kill your flesh going, you know what, I don't need this, but I hope that person over there is listening. Your job is to say, you know what, let's just guarantee a fact. My flesh is going to try to deceive me. And my flesh does not want to listen to this message. In fact, you know what? I kind of want to think of something that was more interesting that happened earlier in the day. Do you know that you can arrest your flesh? You can stop your thoughts. You can corral them to listen. That's your job when I'm preaching. And so sanctification is happening even right now. What is sanctification? Well, it's where you and I are being transformed into the same image, Jesus, from one degree to another. And it happens every single day. It's learning to obey God. It's learning to overcome sin. It's learning to love other people more and to love his word and to study his word and make it known to other people. Now, that's all salvation present. Now, you ready? I'm getting to the helmet of salvation now. I hope you're hearing this. There's something coming in the future. Paul calls it the hope of salvation. He calls it somewhere else the hope of glory. It is the powerful assurance that one day you are going to be no longer in this fleshly body that is so susceptible to the world. You're not going to struggle with sin You're not going to be immersed in this world being shoved into its mold anymore. You're not going to be besieged by the ruler of this age, the name the devil. This is the promise. That helmet of salvation is a promise. You've got a future salvation where you're not going to suffer anymore. You're going to live eternally with God. It's It's the hope of glory. This is salvation future. So what I've told you is there's a salvation Past, there's a salvation right now, present, and there's one coming. And the Bible makes clear all three of those. Now let me bring it really to a sharp point. The helmet of salvation is the certainty. 
It is the assurance that you have been justified, that God is sanctifying you now and will one day glorify you for eternity. That's what the power of this helmet is. And the devil who wants to knock you side the head with his broadsword and get you to doubt this and get you to be discouraged, this wards off the blows. It gives you confidence, encouragement that the God who saved you and who is sanctifying you, it's an absolute fact. He's going to glorify you. You don't need to worry. Now I'm going to tell you, and I've worked with a lot of Christians who do not believe in the eternal security, and I'm using it that way on purpose, the eternal security of salvation. And I've never met more anxious Christians in my life. I've worked with dozens of them. And it's a joy to watch their eyes open up. To be able to see that God who saved you and is saving you and has put a deposit in you is also guaranteeing you with a seal that one day he's going to bring you in and he's going to change your body and he's going to put you into eternity forever with him. But we've got an enemy who though he cannot tamper with your salvation past, he is helpless to prevent your salvation future. He could do everything in the world to be an obstacle to your salvation present, your growth with Jesus. See, he aims to discourage you, to fill you with doubt. Now, Christian, listen, do you ever struggle like I do? How can you call yourself a Christian and struggle with that sin? Where is God in this struggle? You can hear the devil whispering it to you. You can feel the broadsword going at your head. Can it really be that God doesn't care? I mean, come on. You go through trial after trial. Maybe God doesn't really love you after all. Or do you really imagine that only Christians are saved? Don't you think that's the heights of hubris? Don't you think that's arrogance? Don't you think that's close-mindedness? There are billions of people that adhere to other religions. And you're telling me they all are going to go to hell if they don't put their faith in Jesus? Come on. What kind of a God would be that kind of a God? Maybe it's not really true. Listen, if you've struggled with any of these scenarios and thousands more, what you've got is the helmet of salvation off your head and the broadsword of the devil swinging. Constant temptation, frequent failure, trial after trial, losing friends because of your faith, even family at times, forfeiting money because of Christian generosity. It goes on and on, even to the point where we are tempted to just give up the whole thing, give in to your fatigue, fall into despair. Heaven seems so far off. Could it really even be real? If you have the helmet of salvation on, you will see that sword coming. And it will, connect, it will not connect to your mind. Because the helmet of salvation is our hope of salvation. Hope of future glory. Eternal rest. Dwelling with God. One another. The helmet of salvation. Listen, you're going to hurt me one day. I'm sure you will. Most of you have already done it in one form or another. I'm being tongue-in-cheek. I'm going to hurt you, definitely. I'm going to say something that offends you. 
Or I'm going to do something that offends you. Or I'm not going to be the pastor you want me to be. And guess what? Somebody in this section of the church is going to hurt somebody in this section of the church. This is just what it means to be in the family of God. It happens. And I cannot tell you how many Christians come to me so offended, so hurt by somebody else in the church, and they do not deal with it right They do not take steps of peacemaking with that person. And all of a sudden, the devil begins to lodge that in. And that hurt turns to resentment. And that resentment, the Bible says, moves to bitterness. And bitterness, it it spreads and defiles many, Hebrews says. And all of a sudden, you leave the church and all you can say is, you know what? They don't know how to love there. Or that that pastor's not friendly. Or people in that church, they hurt people all the time. Where do you think that's coming from? Do you not know that's coming from the devil? And when he lodges it in your head, that's because you do not have the helmet of salvation. Because guess what? The helmet of salvation is your constant reminder, I'm going to be living with you for eternity. So I might as well start trying to love you now. And you know what? You might have offended me now, but in the scope of billions and billions of years dwelling together with God, this is nothing. Easily submerged in grace. But if you don't have the helmet of salvation on, it's a very big thing. And I'm willing to separate from you because of it. See, the helmet of salvation is huge. And just like that helmet gives confidence when you're on a bicycle... Or a motorcycle or a football field. That helmet gives you confidence and courage in the field of spiritual battle. But you've got to be asking, I would hope, how do you wear this thing? How do you wear the helmet of salvation? That's point number three. How do you get it on in a spiritual war? The devil is an expert at leeching away our hope. Getting you fixated on the present, bringing in the past. He is so good at doing this that you really, truly, rightfully can say he's an expert. He's a professional. And when he leeches away your hope, here's what he's going to bring. Discouragement and doubt. And here, by the way, moms and dads of little ones. Have you not had this moment yet happen? Might be while you're holding your baby or you're watching your child in a baseball game or a soccer game or in ballet. All of a sudden you're overwhelmed with the thought that your child is going to die. Something bad is going to happen. And all of a sudden that thought just goes right down a trail. Your emotions just spill out. There's this internal dialogue. You're not even aware of it. All of a sudden this I don't know if I could survive that. I mean, what kind of a God would do that to me? I can't trust God if he's not going to protect my child. Therefore, I've got to protect my child, and I've got to close ranks. Listen, all of that's happening because the devil is swinging the sword. It's all happening because he's bringing doubt. And that doubt is always vertical. How can you possibly put your confidence in God, Eve? I mean, God knows the moment you're going to eat of that fruit, you're going to be like him. He obviously doesn't want you to be like him. So he's holding out pleasure on you. You know, you might suddenly out of nowhere remember something terrible that happened to you years ago. 
or even something that maybe you did terribly to another person years ago. And all of a sudden, here come all of the emotions that were in that very moment 10, 30, 40 years ago. Almost eerie clarity of the event just comes right back in your mind. And before you know it, you are angry, bitter, resentful. And the attack of the devil is swinging that sword at your head. How do you get this helmet of salvation on? How do you protect your mind against the lies of the devil and the discouragement and the doubt that he wants to bring? Well, here's number one. I'm just going to give you two. I could be here for weeks telling you these. I'm going to trust you do your own study. I'm going to give you two, and they're huge. First, take every thought captive. Now, I'm going to tell you, I think most of us have misunderstood this passage. I'll read it to you. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war According to the flesh, this is all about spiritual warfare. And we have wrongfully psychologized this verse and hijacked it from its meaning. I'm going to tell you the right meaning. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The way we psychologize it, it says that we've got to be aware of our internal monologue and our internal dialogue and captivate, capture those thoughts. Well, that's really actually good advice, but that's not what Paul means here. Paul tells us, listen to every single friend that's ever going to give you counsel. Listen to every, every pastor that's ever going to preach to you. Listen very carefully to every book that you go to for self-help. And then I want you to compare it up against the knowledge of God and see how it looks. Don't let any outside information come inside without taking it to the knowledge of God. Because the devil rides on the backs of lies. He distorts it subtly until it takes root in your mind and it corrupts your entire life. So are you able to discern lies from truth. Now listen, are you listening what I, to what I'm preaching? There's too many Christians that open up the mouth of their minds, open wide and just let me dump it in. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. You've got to listen, get your teeth. They're meant to capture the food and chew in your mind on what I'm telling you. Is this really right? I'm capable of mistakes. You don't let any outside information get inside without bringing it up against the knowledge of God. You take every thought, every bit of counsel, every new discovery, every book that you think is a rage and flying around the shelves, and you put it up against the Word of God, the knowledge of God, and you really begin to examine it. Is this trustworthy? Because I'm going to tell you with a promise where it will take you. If it's not, it will eventually get you to the swamps of doubt and discouragement. That is the agenda of the devil. And the helmet of salvation is meant to be able to discern everything up against the the knowledge of God. In fact, look at what Paul says. He's very provocative, very evocative. He says you got to destroy it. Don't play around with junk. Don't play, play around with... Stuff that is in a song or in a movie that you're thinking, man, this is like one of the best songs ever. Don't let it even gain a foothold in your mind. If there's somebody right now that's making its way around YouTube or Instagram or Facebook with all of this incredible 
you know, way that he explains how you can be successful in this world, and it doesn't match up with this. You don't dally with it. You don't play with it like a cat with a ball of yarn. You destroy it. You push it out of your life. You reject it. You demolish it with truth. You don't show mercy. You don't even give any quarter. You get it out, and you do not be afraid to tell people. That is a lie. See, the problem is that many Christians cannot discern the lies of the devil and the truth of the gospel. Listen, this is epidemic. You know why it's epidemic? Because most Christians that I've worked with have, if they're wearing the belt of truth, they've got it so slack that it won't hold up the armor. I can just let you evaluate that. How much do you love the word of God? Well, that's evident with what you're doing with it, right? I mean, you can't say that I really love my wife and then you never, ever speak nicely to her and never spend time with her. So if you're going to say you love the word of God and it's only coming from your lips, well, the evidence of that is, well, I do this, I'll get into it when I can, but, and when I can, it's five minutes, but I'm not, I don't really have time to study it. Oh, and by the way, I don't really retain anything that way. If you're not in the belt of truth, the word of God, it is slack and the armor will not be held up. Your helmet of salvation cannot be on your head. And that is point number two. Fill your minds with scripture about your salvation. I'm going to do something I think is fun. I don't know if you're going to think it's fun. But you've got to open up to Ephesians chapter 1. So can you do that? And you might be wondering, well, why do we need to do that? It's going to be up on the screen. I know it will be, but I want you to mark up your Bible if you can. And by the way, if you came and you didn't bring a Bible with you and you don't own a Bible, that gift for you is the Bible right in front of you. You take it home, just promise me, please, that you're going to learn to get in it. Ephesians chapter 1, one of the most powerful verses of the Bible. By the way, if you're an English teacher, it is a run-on sentence from verse 3 to verse 14. It is grammatically horrible, but it is incredibly good. says in 2 Corinthians 11.3, we're going to get to Ephesians, don't go anywhere. But I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What I'm telling you why I quoted that is this, your mind is ground zero, meaning the entire battle of the devil is against your mind. Please hear that. The mind is his aim. He's trying to take ground of your mind. He's trying to capture and put strongholds in your mind, which is why Francis Schaeffer said the spiritual battle, the loss of victory is always in the thought world. It's your beliefs. It's the way you think. It's your attitudes. It's your dreams even, your ambitions. It's your, the, how, you, how you screen in all this information coming to you. And if you're not in God's word on the battlefield, you're on the battlefield without the helmet. So here we go, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to tell you what your salvation is like. And I'm going to tell you what your salvation is like from the vantage point of the Heavenly Father first. And then His Son, His beloved Son, and then the Holy Spirit. In other words, I'm going to tell you what are the, what are the triune God's contributions 
to your salvation. This will put the helmet on your head and it will cinch the strap so that you're in the middle of warfare. It won't fall off your head. This is how important this is. Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 3, if you want to see it on the screen. I'm not even going to read the verses. You can read that. Let me tell you what the devil's doing, though. He's whispering that God is holding out on you. I hope you can hear him doing this. If you can't hear it, you don't see the broadsword coming. He's whispering that God's a harsh God, that he has unfair demands, so the Bible counters it with truth. But our Heavenly Father, verse 3, has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's not holding back anything. You've got everything. But verse 4, the devil wants, to believe, wants you to believe that no one could possibly love you. You've done too many bad things. But the Bible is countering it. But our Heavenly Father chose us in Him. Before the universe was created, He set His love on you so long ago that He had not even spoken the sun into existence. The, earth, the yellow orb in the sky sun. The devil is going to respond that you will never get this Christian thing right. You're always going to be a screw-up. How could God ever love you? But verse 4 is going to counter our Heavenly Father has declared we are holy. We are blameless in Him. As holy and blameless as Jesus is, is Himself. Can you imagine that, Christian? When the Father looks at you, if you're in Christ, He sees no difference in the extent of holiness than He does when He sees Jesus. You are just as right is Jesus. And John in, in, the, in our Lord's Prayer says that God loves you with the same exact amount and degree of love that he loves his son. See, this is helmet of salvation. This is what it means to take your mind captive. It's what it means to know who you are in Christ and your salvation. But verse 5, Satan's going to lie that, he, that we will never be able to leave our old ways. We just brought them into this Christian life, all those sinful habits. And he's always going to have power over you. You're never going to be able to escape him. The truth is, verse 5, that our Heavenly Father adopted you as his son or daughter. And if you understand Roman adoption, it means every tie to your old family was cut. You now have taken on the identity of your new family. Your old, if you had debts before you were adopted, they're canceled in Roman law. And all the resources of the new family are yours. So listen, you're not in debt to your sin. All the ties to the devil, all the ties to your flesh, they're gone. Now you have ties to the Father, Son, and the Spirit. But Satan's going to counter. So he does not give up. He's going to counter that God is just obligated to you. He had to do this. He doesn't really care. You're just a number to him. But verse 5 says, Our Heavenly Father adopted us. Look what it says. According to the purpose of his will. It means that this was actually something he thought about. This is something that he purposed. This is something that he wanted. He was emotionally invested in your adoption and your salvation. Because he really wanted to save you. 
But Satan's going to tell you that you don't deserve to be saved. You haven't earned his forgiveness. But verse 6 is going to tell you he's right. You really haven't earned God's forgiveness. But praise God that he gave you his free gift of grace. You don't have to earn grace. And he gave you that grace in his beloved son. But Satan, he's unrelenting. He's not going to give up. He's going to whisper that your sins are just too many. And the guilt, it's too powerful. You're never going to atone for them. But now we see what the Son has done for us. Jesus made, verse 7, our atonement. He died in our place. He forgave our sins so that he could display the riches of his grace to you. But Satan, again, he's going to try to convince you the gospel doesn't make sense. How can one person, his death, fix the mess of your life? And if it's even true, then God, what is he, a cosmic child abuser? This is all what the devil is going to tell you. The truth is, Satan wasn't smart enough to know what God was going to do. It was a mystery of God's will, verse 8 through 10. That, that, and he would defeat the devil and he would bring all things together in Christ. The devil never saw it coming. But he's going to try to persuade you that your life is meaningless. Here comes the sword, that your life, and there's no life beyond this one. Once you're dead, it's, it's done, so just live whatever way you want. The truth is we're going to live for all eternity, verses 11 and 12. And we're going to be a testament and a praise to the glory of God. But verse 13, he's going to come after you as if he is still your master, as if he still has authority over you. But verse 13, the Spirit of God has sealed you. He has held you securely. He has broken the authority of the devil. You know what that means, right? It means that he cannot exercise his power against you unless he asks God for permission. Listen, I want everybody to hear that for a moment. This is so big. The devil can never do anything to you unless he first gains permission by the Father. And if God the Father says, you may do this and nothing more, then it's for your good. And he has resources at your disposal. And he has a perfect plan that is about to be revealed, even through what the devil thought was going to be your ruin. But the devil will tell you the moment you get on God's bad side, he's going to renege on his promises. But verse 14 says the Spirit of God was not only a seal, it was a down payment. It was a guarantee that all the promises of God will definitely come to pass exactly the way that he said. Friends, that's the helmet of salvation. And that has the power to deflect the lies of the devil. And you put it on your head and you know that God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit brought about your salvation. They gave you that salvation. All of a sudden, there is nothing that the devil can do to penetrate it. You see, the key to defensive power of the helmet of salvation is, I hope you hear this. I'm almost done, so just give me every bit of your attention that you can. The key to the defensive power of the helmet of salvation is to know God's truth so well that any deception that he starts to bring to you, you instantly detect it. You take it captive. You destroy it. So that doubt that he tries to introduce, that discouragement that he tries to bring to you, listen, you turn back to the word. You cinch up the belt of truth. You get that helmet on your head and you buckle the buckler and you are impervious to what the devil is going to do. 
And you will be able to say with Jude, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now I'm going to leave you with two super fast thoughts. You ready? I know for a fact, because I know some of the people that are here, that there are people here right now who are not Christians. Because you've actually told me you're not Christian. That's not to demean you. That's just me telling you, you don't even possess a helmet of salvation. You have no defense against what the devil can do to you. Your only defense is to come to Jesus as your only only way of salvation. And the moment you do, he gives you all six pieces of this armor and he begins to teach you how to dress it. Why would you not come to Jesus? But if you have already done that and you are a believer, then wear the helmet. Let the devil's sword bounce harmlessly off your mind, dispelling the doubts, filling your heart with encouragement. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and ask for his help.